0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Hi, I'm Leighton Hewitt, and you're listening to the Aegon Championships Tennis Podcast.
2: Murray squeezed past big-serving Gilles Muller to reach the semis, but how did he do it?
3: Started to, to read his his serve a little bit better towards the end of the second set, and that really changed the match for me because I was able to get into more um, return games.
2: Gilles Simon looked down and out against Milos Raonic, but the Frenchman found a way
4: back. It feels good to beat Milos finally after three losses in a row. Today was really close again.
2: And although Rafa's gone, Uncle Tony's still here. In an exclusive interview, he tells us all about the challenges facing his nephew
5: now i think rafael is playing good but then when you have not enough confidence in important moment the ball go out the confidence coming always with victories
2: nothing else this is the Aegon championships tennis podcast brought to you in association with the telegraph Hello and welcome to the Aegon Championships Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with our good friends from The Telegraph. We have got the show of all shows for you today, apart from the one that Liam Payne from One Direction was in, obviously, the one he tweeted about, and it got retweeted by 68,000 people. But today, we've got an exclusive interview with Tony Nadal, Pete Sampras is our legend of Queens, Gilles Muller takes the Moat Moment Challenge, and we have a very special guest, a person who worked with John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors here at the Queen's Club when they were at the peak of their powers. Catherine Whitaker's here. How are you doing, Catherine?
6: Crikey, that's the show of all shows. That's uh, that's quite a billing. And then and then you ask. I mean, I feel like I can I can never live up to that.
2: You can't. So what a day we've had at the Aegon Championships today. Quarter-final action on Friday. And for a moment or two, I did wonder whether we would get through all of it. Four matches back-to-back. But the sun shone. It was gorgeous out there. And Andy Murray, after a first-set scare, Catherine, came through and won in three.
6: Yeah, he was genuinely in trouble, I think. It wasn't one of those sort of Andy Murray performances where, yes, he sort of isn't quite focused for the first set, but you, you know he's going to pull it together. Uh, he was genuinely in trouble because it was a, he faced a very tricky opponent. But uh, as I said yesterday when uh, about him having gears in reserve, and I was pleased to see him not produce his absolute best against Fernando, Fernando Vidasco because it wasn't necessary, you saw those gears in reserve today. You saw him, you know, he lost the first set and then he rolled up through the gears. And um, yes, it was a tight match, but I, it's quite pleasing to see from him playing in that way where he brings out his best when it's necessary.
2: I absolutely loved the matchup. A man who serves and volleys, chips and charges against one of the best counterpunchers maybe of all time.
6: Yeah, there's been quite a lot of that today, hasn't there? There's, uh, there was a, a similar match-up with uh, Gilles Simon and Milos Raonic. Big servers have historically come in for a lot of criticism in the game from, from the spectator point of view, but actually a big server can be the best thing to watch on a grass court if they're matched up in the right way. It's not boring. If they're matched up against a Gilles Simon or an Andy Murray... You've got yin and yang. It's the best. It's the best grass court tennis you can watch, and uh, certainly a lot of that Andy Murray match, and certainly the third set of, uh, of Gilles Simon and uh, Milos Raonic was sensational.
2: Watching Andy Murray decode a big serve and serve and volley like that, playing at that level, is one of the most fascinating things in tennis isn't it because you get that problem solving going on and he, watching his brain work the cogs starting to move I, I find it fascinating
6: that's a brilliant word you've just used decode. that's exactly what it is and it and I think it takes a bit of time to find your rhythm I mean what do, I mean I was going to say what do I know but of course I know what it's like to face an enormous serve from uh from uh, our Albert Hall match-up David yeah you didn't get near him very often though did you uh well, I'm, I'm, there's no need for me to say anything because the scoreline speaks for itself, but uh, decoding is a great word. It, I mean, I can't add anything to what you just said. That was fantastic analysis. Seeing him figure out how to find the cheat codes and unlock the key to, to that serve uh, is uh, it's like watching a genius at work.
2: Certainly was, and he knew he wasn't going to find it easy right from the very first ball.
3: I mean first set you know I didn't really have many opportunities there and second set either um, but I played a a very good tie break and started to to read his his serve a little bit better towards the end of the second set and um, yeah that that really changed the match for me because I was able to get into more um, return games. Started putting a bit more pressure on his serve, and um, I served very well myself from the the middle of the second set too.
6: And now, bit to Trotsky in the semi-finals. He's on a an incredible run of form, beating some really good players. I guess you'll be wary of the challenge he poses
3: going into that. Yeah, I mean, I expect you know a very tough match. I mean, he uh, he's beaten some very good players here and and last week in in Stuttgart. He's beaten Silic a couple of times. Very good on the grass. Um, Isner, obviously, you know, is big server tough guy to to play so um yeah i expect a a difficult match but i've played well against him in the past and i'll try to to use the the tactics that worked well against him in the past um to my advantage tomorrow but um yeah it's going to be tricky because he's playing very well
2: so that's andy murray a happy man ultimately because he is into the semi-finals of this tournament just before we get on to gilles simon catherine andy murray wins this tournament every couple of years it's time for another one, isn't it? Because he won in 09, 11, 13. Now it's 15.
6: Yeah, there are some brilliant stats about Andy Murray at this tournament. It's the winning in odd years. It's the last time he won here, he went on to win Wimbledon. There are some. There's there's great lines for journalists to use in their uh, in their stories, and he's he's very keen to sort of bat them away and say that means nothing to me. But. Uh, it's a great narrative to place upon his performance this week. And uh, given who's left in the, uh, in the draw, not to dismiss any of them, but uh, surely, surely he's got to now be thinking. I mean, I, I said it before the week even started, when we had all the big names left in. I said, this is his tournament to win. So if that was the case at the beginning of the week when Rafa and Vavrenka and Vrownic were still in... Where are we now? I mean, this, this really is his to, w- his to lose, even.
2: You're so arrogant.
6: Honestly, you think back to the start of the tournament when you were predicting
2: it all right. Oh, dear. She's right, though, isn't she? It's annoying. Uh, Gilles Simon, uh, you mentioned him earlier and the way he was decoding that big serve of Milos Raonic. It was a cracking match.
6: It was a good match. I think it took a while to find its feet, but uh, it improved with every game. It really, The trajectory of the quality of that match was upwards all the way, and the third set was really sensational. I uh, I clipped up two hot shots from that match, two Gilles Seymour hot shots, some marvellous lobs, some real guile and trickery. It was really... I mean, it's a treat to see that sort of thing. I mean, he, he gets a bit of a tough time, Gilles Simon. He's the man with, you know, doesn't have any weapons. He doesn't have the big serve. He doesn't have a game that there's any headline about that you can talk, talk about particularly. But, a, but that almost means he deserves more credits. He has to craft out all of his points. When he's on form, he's a, he's a real pleasure to watch. And uh, I was lucky enough to speak to him after the game earlier. Milos said in his press conference that he thinks he has the best serve in the world at the moment. Tell me what it's like to face it.
4: Well, he doesn't think he has. He knows he has the best serve in the world. That's the difference. And uh, he knows how to use it also. He knows how to put pressure. Uh, You are basically not playing on his serves game. So you always feel a lot of pressure when it's uh, your turn to serve. And it's really difficult. That's why he's one of the really best players in the world. He has this strength weapon and he knows how to use it.
6: You've got another big server next, Kevin Anderson. Do you take particular pleasure in beating big servers in sort of outwitting them with your style of game?
4: No, I don't take a particular pleasure to play against them first uh, because I really like to play. You know, I like the, the, the long points, the rallies, how to construct it. Uh, it's a bit frustrating to play against these players. This, you know, I mean, all the players said it <laughs> before me, but um, this is part of the game. It's really hard. That's why it's a, it's a really hard performance to beat Milos. That's why uh, I was not able to to make it before, and um, I'm just happy that I survived today. And I know I will have a, a very tough one tomorrow.
2: So there's Gilles Simon talking to Catherine earlier today. So he's into the semi-finals. His opponent will be Kevin Anderson. I think it's about time, Catherine. We played Challenge Catherine. What have you got? It's Kevin Anderson against Gilles Simon.
6: What I've got is... I I thought I told you yesterday that I'd peaked and I wanted to resign from this competition. Yeah, well, you can't do that. Sorry. Damn. Um, I've got... Well, there's no reason to think... if, If Gilles Simon can deal with Milos Raonic... He can deal with Kevin Anderson. So uh, I'm going Simon. And I don't think Simon ever wins matches in two sets, does he? So I'm going Simon in three.
2: See in three, says Catherine Whittaker. We've also got Andy Murray, of course. He is in semi-final action against Victor Trojicke, who's been in fantastic form, hasn't he? he? got a great win over Marin Cilic in the previous round. Then he backed it up by beating a man of six feet, ten inches tall. And the way he dealt with the power of John Isner, I was mightily impressed.
6: I was too. He was... Uh, I, I feel embarrassed that I didn't give him more credit in my prediction last night actually but then but then I but then I think John is nice 6 foot 10 he's sh- even against somebody that's playing as well as Victor Troitsky he sh- he you know he should be doing better on grass but uh that's another matter it's not to take away from the performance of Victor Troitsky which is uh he's hitting some incredible form and I am having said all that I'm going to massively contradict myself and predict a straight set's Andy Murray win. But that's not to dismiss Victor Troicki. I think there'll probably be two quite tight sets, but I think Victor Troicki's biggest wins recently have been over the big servers, and I think Andy Murray will be a very different prospect for him, and I think it's one of those matchups where Andy Murray does what Victor Troicki does, he just does it better.
2: You know how you said that uh, Victor Troicki shouldn't have been able to beat John Isner because John Isner is 6 feet 10 inches tall? I'm a full foot taller than you, and more and you beat me it's really annoying well end of that right now challenge Catherine we know what Catherine (laughs) thinks what about our listener our chosen listener for the day it is at Vamos Feli which I imagine is something to do with Feliciano Lopez who has gone with Kevin Anderson in three sets and Murray in two I think that's the uh, the popular choice isn't it most people I think think Murray's going all the way Legends of Queens, Pete Sampras.
3: After Paris, you just you enjoy kind of getting off the clay onto a surface that you love, and, and Queens was a great event, and just just loved it. Just loved the whole month, and loved finishing it off at Wimbledon.
2: Sampras prepared for all of his seven Wimbledon wins by playing at the Queen's Club. He won at Queens twice, including one sensational final against Tim Henman in 1999, which Sampras won in a final-set tiebreak. John Barrett was in the commentary box at the time.
7: I think we all thought at last that Tim was going to break the hoodoo, uh, which Sampras had always seemed to hold over him. He was unlucky, we all felt, to be around at a time when Sampras was around because he was a very good grass court player, Tim Hammond. But to have Sampras there all the time was a nuisance. But this particular day, it did seem that he was going to win. Remember... At Wimbledon, it took him, I think, three years before he got past the second round. He couldn't return the serve. And I remember with his coach Gullickson there, practicing and practicing and practicing, returned the serve on grass because he learned to block it back eventually on his backhand side. One of the greatest servers ever. Terrific um, volleying ability.
4: Well, he had everything, didn't he?
2: great pete sampras winner of 14 grand slam singles titles another man who's won 14 grand slam titles and is still active is rafael nadal he was at the Aegon championships this week at the queens club he's left now but his uncle tony nadal is still here and i got an opportunity to have an exclusive interview with him here on the Aegon championships tennis podcast brought to you in association by the telegraph and i met tony nadal in the usual place Well, down in the players' lounge at the moment, there's not too many people around now because as the tournament enters the quarterfinal stages, there are not so many players and uh, a few coaches, a few family members around. But one man that has been to the Aegon Championships and is no longer here now is Rafael Nadal because he lost in the first round and lost in the doubles as well. But his uncle, his coach, Tony, is still here. Tony, how are you doing?
5: Fine, I am still here because I was here be till uh, Wimbledon. And so we go to Wimbledon next Monday. So I come here for watching a little match, a few of the matches. And uh, I have my sons, and we come here for playing a little tennis. And everything is good. It was a pity that uh, Rafael has lost his match. We try to do a little better in Wimbledon.
2: How do you think Rafa is looking now? Because after the clay court season, he went to Stuttgart, won the title, so he's had a good start on grass. How do you think he's playing now? We have uh,
5: begun the season not too good during the year, the four five months. We have him play not uh, constant. Some matches is good, then some matches is bad. But I, I think after Madrid... In Madrid, Rafael has begun to play a little better. Not enough for playing better and, and good till the final. In the final against Marroy, our level was poor, not, not, not enough good for beating Andy. Then in Rome, we have played no but. Not high level, but no but. We lose with many chances against Vabrinka and in Roland Garros uh, not enough good for winning the tournament better but not enough good and after that uh, Rafael has played a good tournament in Stuttgart we come here with I think with the chances for making a good tournament we thought that we can make a good tournament but then we have a little bad luck in the, uh, Rafael. Has a break on the third against Algot and it's true here in on grass, everything goes very fast. In one moment you can lose, in one moment you can win the the match, and the game is better.
2: What do you think is the difference between Rafa now and say two or three years ago, in when he was? At his very best. What do you think he needs to improve the most?
5: The difference between the Rafa today, today's Rafa, or what happened uh, some years uh, ago was his mentality is not too uh, very constant. And, uh, this is our problem, the problem that uh, we have had uh, this year. But uh, when uh, we uh, spoke about grass, In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.
6: You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription.
5: It's different because I think uh, today we can play better on grass than... Than uh, two years ago or three years ago, because after 2011 we have many problems in uh, his uh, he has many problems in his knees, and it was very difficult for him uh, to play on grass because he cannot uh, going down with his legs. But uh, now he can. Then uh, I think uh, we need a little more confidence. And when uh, we have a little, when we are a little lucky, I think uh, we can do a good tournament everywhere. Here or in Wimbledon, he was not possible, but I think uh, his uh, level is for making a good tournament.
2: And what will he do this week, Rafa?
5: This week, uh, what uh, we have done. Uh, last will, week, he week, will he have
2: a week? would he
5: have a week off no, now? No, 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 no. Now we have uh, three days a week off, but uh, he have to do the same than last week practice, and and uh, little more constant in his game was enough. In Stuttgart, the surf was good, the, the movement was uh, better. Then uh, he makes good shots. Then uh, he's,
2: he's making these during three, four hours. And finally, are you, both, are you both really excited now to come to Wimbledon with Rafa feeling fit? The fact that his knees are not hurting this year the way they yes. were two years ago.
5: Yes, uh, for me, it's uh, a good possibility to, to, to show a good Raphael now in Wimbledon. And I know when you arrive in Wimbledon without a Grand Slam, uh, Grand Slam title, is the first time in in 10, 11 years that uh, we arrived there without uh, winning a Grand Slam. Then uh, the confidence is not the same, and the, the confidence in tennis and more in grass is very important because all changes. I I said before in one moment, and uh, when you have confidence, you hit the the ball and the ball go on the line. And when you don't have a confidence, you hit the the ball and the ball go outside. No, then is uh, this is the what uh, we need. But I think we can do a good tournament.
2: I hope. (laughs) How do you get confidence?
5: Get uh, the confidence. Get uh, is coming always with victories. Nothing else. You can play well, like uh, now. I think Rafaeli uh, is playing enough good. But then, when you have not uh, enough confidence in the important moment, the ball go out. Is what happened here against uh, Dolgopolov. He has um, enough confidence. Then uh, in the break, on the third, uh, he has uh, 30-30. And, oh, and he, he, has, he was a little uh, afraid. afraid, yep. uh, And the ball goes out although, on, the, on the net. This is the
2: difference. Well, Tony, it's been lovely to have you with us here on the Tennis Podcast. And great to see you back at the Queen's Club in London. We hope you've had a good time, enjoyed your stay, and that we see you again.
5: Yeah, yes. For me, it's the first time that uh, I come in uh, Queen's, but it was uh, wonderful to come here because when I was young and I saw this uh, event, always I have the idea that uh, a very good tournament, a very beautiful uh, Central Court. I remember before was all was uh, red color and was wonderful. And now here the same. Uh, I am very happy to be here. Uh, not too happy because uh, we have lose, but everything was okay. The people very kind. The director of the tournament very kind. And everything is okay.
2: Been lovely to see you. Thank you for joining us.
5: You're welcome. You're welcome.
2: So, Tony Nadal here with us on the Aegon Championships Tennis podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph. And great to hear from him for a start, wasn't it, Catherine? So, such an interesting character. And, and it was interesting the way the interview came about. I saw him in the player lounge and I thought, I'm just going to try my luck, you know. And I asked him for three minutes. And after eight minutes, I tried to wrap it up, as you heard, and he just, he was enjoying the chat. So, uh, re- really great fun to talk to. Uh, and a real insight as well, wasn't it? Because he confirmed what, well, what a lot of us, I think, have always thought about Rafa Nadal in the last 6, 8, 12 months, that, that he has struggled with confidence.
6: Yeah, that's just it, isn't it? I mean, as you say, you, I, everybody that follows tennis has read, endless, read, listened to, watched... Endless speculation about the mental state of Rafa Nadal, and yes, of course, it's it, when you look at it in context. Of course, he's struggling with confidence. Confidence comes with wins. It's you know, it's not rocket science. You get how can you be confident if you're not winning? And yes, he is winning some, but compared to his high standards, he's not winning enough. And but it's very easy to speculate that about that and say yes, of course, he's short of confidence. But actually, hearing it from somebody that really knows um is incredibly insightful and and also the fact that there's no defensiveness about that that lack of confidence. The fact that his camp the, the person closest to him in a tennis con- context is not afraid to say he's lacking in confidence. I think is insightful in itself. It almost is saying, look, he's just as good a tennis player as he was this is what's missing. And it's that vicious circle, isn't it? You get confidence from winning, but to win, you need confidence. And I, I'm sure that bit of luck will come his way to start the ball rolling. But uh, I think the bit of luck is what's necessary.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very interesting to see hear from Tony Nadal here with us on this show. And we hope to see his nephew improve and get more confident very soon. Now, a Moet Moment Challenge. And this time, it's with Gilles Muller.
1: Gilles Muller, your Aegon Championship Moet Moment Challenge starts now. Who won the Aegon Championships in here in Queen's 2014? Uh, Grigor Dimitrov. Correct. Who won it two years ago? Andy Murray. Correct. How many grams on tiles has Andy Murray won? Two. Correct. Which former Wimbledon champion did Nick Kyrgios beat at Wimbledon last year? Rafael Mandel. Correct. When did Boris Becker win his first Wimbledon? 1985. Correct. When you win your biggest title, what drink will you drink to celebrate? Uh, Champagne. Correct. What type? Moet. (laughs) (laughs) How old was Leighton Hewitt when he won at Queen's for the first time? I have to guess. 20. 19. How many times has Andy Roddick beaten in the Wimbledon final? Three. Correct. How many Queen's titles has Tim Hanman won? None. Correct. Which two players who are playing at Queen's this week reached the women's semi-finals last year for the first time? Grigor Dimitrov and... Um, I don't know. And finally, what was the score in the fifth set when John Isner beat Nicolás Mahúz at Wimbledon? 71-69. 70-68. 70-68. No way.
2: <laughs> that was close. <laughs> well, not bad, Here, We'll give you a B-plus for that. Maybe, uh, maybe next time, next year, you'll not only reach the quarter-finals, you'll maybe reach the semi-finals. You'll maybe get an A-minus in the moment, moment challenge. Not this time, though. Now, it's time to introduce our special guest because, as well as Catherine Whitaker, we are joined by a man who, one week out of every year for the past 30 years, comes to the Queen's Club to operate as the link between the best tennis players in the world and the world's media. He's worked with Connors, McEnroe, Lendl, Becker at the height of their fame, Sampras, Hewitt, Roddick, Nadal, and now Murray. He takes them to press conferences, he sets up their interviews, he taught me how to do this job, and this week at the Aegon Championships, he convinced the Chelsea manager, Jose Mourinho, to talk to the BBC and Eurosport. His name is Mr Robin Daniels. Robin, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, David. You're a little bit nervous, having heard that incredible introduction, because I'll tell you what, I didn't know what I was saying, but it's all true, isn't it? It's all true. It's all true. When did you first meet me? 1996. What are your memories of that day, apart from it being a wonderful day in your life?
7: I remember a very tall, keen intern who was uh, very knowledgeable about tennis and a great help. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I well, was uh, supposedly a great help. And, but the truth of the matter is that you had been already working at this tournament for some 14 or 15 years, hadn't you? What do you remember about the first time that you actually came here? And how did you get the job in the first place? That's more than three decades ago.
7: I came here in 1982 as a fan watching the tennis. A friend and I decided we would love to meet Jimmy Connors. So we talked our way in. We managed to get an interview. What did you say? We basically said that we were working for LBC
2: Radio. (laughs) Right, okay. Uh, You wouldn't be able to do that these days, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. I guarantee you we have really stringent security and uh, great stewards as well. But Robin Daniels, back in the day, was able to do that. And so you got in and then what?
7: They said, okay, we'll ask Jimmy if he would like to talk to you, Jimmy Connors. And within half an hour, we were sitting in a room with Jimmy Connors recording a wonderful interview, (laughs) which we gave to LBC. So it turned out to be true. We really were working for them.
2: That's fantastic. And so how did it go from you pitching this interview that you'd done with Jimmy Connors to LBC to a point where you're actually working for the tournament and organising the press conferences and the interviews that you do these days?
7: While we were watching the press team work I noticed that they didn't record their press conferences and I figured we've got a tape recorder I'll offer to record their press conferences they said
2: yes and here I am (laughs) three and a half decades later extraordinary now when you are doing this role what obviously Catherine and myself know a little bit about it because we do it ourselves at tennis tournaments around the world it's not the easiest job in the world is it because when you take a player off a court when he's just lost the last person he wants to see is you correct correct why yeah. is that they don't want to do press they necessarily just, no necessarily. <laughs> you know put it this way if you've just had the worst day of your week and somebody wants you to go and talk about it in front of a room full of people would you want to go no you wouldn't so Robin how do you get them to do it
7: well, I think the first thing you have to do is give them some space and time to come to terms with what's happened, watch them, watch their body language, be there when you think they have recovered a bit, and then make your approach in a really
2: respectful way and ask, would they please come to press? What was John McEnroe really like back in the day? Because Catherine and I both have both got to know John McEnroe on the ATB Champions Tour but you knew him back when he was bushy-haired with a red headband. What was he like?
7: He was scary, really scary. And, and very difficult to work with, really, because I think he was painfully shy and he couldn't really make eye contact. And
2: so different to the John McEnroe we all know and love now. Absolutely. And then other players like Jimmy Connors, he, he was actually your favourite player back in the day, wasn't he? He was my
7: tennis inspiration. I played tennis just like Jimmy
6: but
2: yeah, I've played you at tennis. That's not true, is it? Catherine?
6: Just, just like David plays tennis, just like Andy Roddick, right? Mm-hmm. Just like that.
2: Now, uh, Boris Becker was one of the first players I encountered in my first year of doing the job in 1996. And he scared the living daylights out of me. When you are faced with a man like that, who is an intimidating presence? Do, do you treat everybody the same or are there different ways of, of getting through to certain characters?
7: I think with Becker, you have to really let him see you're not scared. You know, you're there to do a job and you just want him to be professional and hope he will cooperate.
2: Believe me, he does cooperate when Robin Daniels is around. How did you get Jose Mourinho to come and talk to BBC Television and Eurosport? Because most of us were cowering in the corner thinking, well... Right, who's going to draw the short straw here and actually go and speak to Jose Mourinho? Let's get Robin to do it. Just on the basis,
7: what could he say apart from no? Give it a go. See if he'll say yes. He
2: did say yes, absolutely. Catherine?
6: There's only one man that's ever said no to Robin Daniels, right? And that's Hugh Grant, if I'm right. But in the most, in the most polite way possible.
7: That is true, actually. He is somebody who said no. We requested him for interview... And in a very four-weddings, not-in-hill way, he tossed his head back and his floppy hair and said, I'm afraid I can offer nothing to an interview about the world of tennis, so please convey my apologies to John Inverdale. <laughs>
2: well, at least he was polite. Uh, now, Pete Sampras, known as obviously a very decent man and a great champion, but there was one occasion, wasn't there, when you slightly got on the wrong side of it. What happened?
7: I, I think I made a schoolboy error. I had been approached to take him up to the BBC. They had told me, in a very casual way, it's five minutes. I accepted them at their word. 45 minutes later, <laughs> he was giving me very black looks and indicating that he really wanted to get out of the studio and when we did get out of the studio he gave me a rocket and what for
2: <laughs> oh dear but he did forgive robin daniels didn't he catherine because we all do
6: we've all been there robin is what i'd say you've, you've probably been there more than more than us over the years but we've we've all been this part of the job isn't it
2: sure is what did goran evanisic say to you once when you got him uh, doing interview after interview in a, a press conference once we, we were running a press conference
7: and he had a, a sequence of questions that really he didn't like. And after the third question that upset him, he turned to me and said, What kind of a press conference do you call this?
2: <laughs> yes, Goran Ivanisovic there, another man we know well here on the Aegon Championships tennis podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, somebody who has been around a lot over the last. Uh, uh, well, a couple of years, hasn't he? Coaching Marin Cilic, of course. Goran Ivedicevic. Have you seen him yet, Catherine, this week?
6: I've seen him on the telly, uh, courtside, watching uh, watching Marin Cilic. So he's definitely been here, but he's clearly been avoiding us because I've not seen him. Have you? Oh,
2: no, I know. He's keeping a low profile, is Goran. Uh, Robin, just before you go, we've got the semifinals coming up now, of course. Andy Murray against Viktor Trojicki and uh, Gilles Simon, who's up against Kevin Anderson. What's What are your impressions of Andy Murray? You've obviously dealt with him over the last decade. What what do you think of him?
7: I really like him. I think he's a a great tennis player and a great guy. And, yeah, very impressed by his professionalism.
2: Absolutely. Well, it's been really nice talking to you, Robin. It's been an honour
7: for me to be on the Tennis Podcast.
2: Oh, you can go again. Brilliant. You've been listening to the Aegon Championships Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. We'll speak to you
0: tomorrow. Hold up.